Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God is one. As we've been discussing the last several weeks, the Sunday Mass readings of the seasons of Septuagesima Tide and Lent are deeply tied to an Old, te- Old Testament scriptural sequence, recounting the entire history of human salvation from Adam to Christ through Noah, Abraham, Moses, and others. And this entire sequence, as I've said before, will be recapitulated during the Easter Vigil. The church is trying to prepare us for that powerful service we are approaching now week by week. And as we've also discussed, it'd be easy to miss this sequence because it's going on in Matins, a service of readings in the daily office. In Septuagesima Tide, we were clued into that connection because of the antiphon said on the Magnificat at Saturday Vespers. They were taken directly from the scriptural passages going on in the Old Testament. And luckily that's the case because now that we're in Lent, the propers of the season are not directly referring to that stream that's flowing underneath the Mass readings in the daily office. And yet, again, there are obvious connections between today's story of Jesus' encounter with the Canaanite woman and where our path through the Old Testament is right now in Matins. That is the story of Jacob and Esau. So let's recall their story. Jacob and Esau were twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. While the two were still in Rebekah's womb, they struggled. And so Rebecca was a little disturbed by this, and she went to the Lord and asked what was going on. And the Lord told her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This prophecy was emblematic of the lifelong tension between Jacob and Esau. Sometimes that tension was so strong, it was literally open hatred. Esau was the first to come out of the womb. And thus he was entitled to the birthright inheritance. But Esau carelessly sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of red stew because he was exhausted and extremely famished. Esau went even so far as making an oath to do so to get that food. Esau was also careless in the eyes of his parents because he selected Canaanite wives which Genesis tells us made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah would also later say to her husband that she loathed her life because of the Hittite women. And if Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like his brother Esau has, instead of one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So here's the first clear connection to today's passage. We see that this deep distrust and hatred between Jews and Canaanites is ancient. So ancient it goes back to the founding of Israel itself by Jacob, who would later found that eponymous nation when his name became Israel later in his life through his 12 sons. So even though Jesus's words fall very harshly on our modern ears in the context of our pluralistic society, there is indeed a deep cultural divide here that we need to be aware of at the time of Jesus. And it is in this context of that deep divide that Jesus will create a dramatic twist from this woman being called a dog to being hailed as a shining example of faith. By the way, before I continue, I want to point out that there is a play on words going on in this story. 
with respect to her being referred to as a little dog, as a dog, that we cannot see in English, and which I think is at least part softens what may appear to be quite insulting. The woman worships Jesus. The Greek word for worship is proskunia, oh, and, or toward to kiss. To, when we kiss the ground, when we're prostrating, we, that's why we worship. And it's actually thought that kunon, the word for dog, is the cognate, the way this word became, because worship is like a dog licking its master's hand. And although the New King James Version does a good job of capturing this, Jesus doesn't use the main word for dog. He uses the word, the diminutive kunarion, which sounds a lot more like proskinoto, which is the, the worship word. A little dog, a puppy. And in fact, it said that in the New King James Version, but the Old King James just says dog. So it's a little dog, a puppy. And so those words are actually uh, a little play on words that's going on between them in this story. So Jesus' use of this word, which she also uses in her response to him, are the only four places that that word's actually used in the entire Bible. So there actually is probably something that Matthew's doing here to put this story together with a little play on words. Anyway, back to Jacob and Esau. Because there's a lot more to this story and its connections to today's gospel. Now you may recall Isaac then grows old and he can't see very well. So he asks Esau to go out and prepare a great meal for him with some of, his, some of the great hunting that Esau can do. And then Isaac will give him the blessing that he deserves as the firstborn. However, Jacob, at the instruction of his mother, Rebekah, puts on his brother's clothes, covers his hands and neck with young goat skin so he'd be hairy like his brother. You may remember Esau means hairy, and apparently he was really hairy, so he needed this goat skin to convince Isaac that Jacob was really Esau. And indeed, he does convince Isaac of that, and Jacob wins his father's blessing. So, of course, Esau shows, Esau shows up not long after, and surprised, Isaac responds, Who are you? And Esau answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. And critically, Isaac says, Yes, and he shall be blessed. Referring to Jacob. So as soon as Esau heard those words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. And so here we see another clear parallel in that Canaanite woman who will not accept Jesus' response that he only came to give blessings to the house of Israel. Instead, she essentially responds just like Esau. Yeah, but isn't there enough for me too? But it's in the final part of the story where the Old Testament and the New Testament stories diverge in a key way that's designed to draw attention to the distinction between Esau and the Canaanite woman encountering Jesus. Esau after learning what Jacob had done, immediately goes to blame and shame mode. Is he not rightly called Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Esau remains persistent like the Canaanite woman and asks again, have you not reserved a blessing for me, my father? And even after Isaac answered to Esau and said, behold, I've made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What can I do for you, son? Esau still asks again, just like the, the woman in our story. He said, 
to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And it does turn out that Esau, Isaac can indeed muster a blessing for him, but it isn't the greatest one of all. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Instead of accepting his place, Esau begins to plot how to kill his brother as soon as possible. And so there's several ways that Esau's story diverges from that of the Canaanite woman that are instructed to us and teach us what's important in God's eyes. First, the Canaanite woman begs not for herself, but for her daughter. Esau wants a blessing for himself. The Canaanite woman asks for a spiritual gift for that demon that's tormenting her daughter to be taken away. Esau instead wants physical comfort and wealth. And instead of meeting the apparent, apparent unfairness of the situation with wrath and hate as Esau does, the Canaanite woman humbly accepts her position. Esau's unsatisfied with the tiny morsels left behind after his brother got everything, essentially, from his father's blessing. The Canaanite woman, on the other hand, is eternally gracious, even for one crumb. Furthermore, St. Paul in Romans uses the preference given to Jacob over Esau to remind his hearers then and now that God's grace is not bound to a particular nation or birthright. And indeed, that's part of what today's story in the gospel is about. He says in Romans that indeed the Israelites got it all. The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, the Christ, who's God over all, blessed forever. But, Paul goes on to say, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham. Why? Because they base their pursuit on God and works, not by faith. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that instead of killing his brother Jacob, Esau did ultimately reconcile with him. I'm sure that 20 years of Jacob's self-imposed exile allowed things to cool off a little bit, but I note that I think it's how Esau broke the yoke of his brother, how that prophecy came true, that blessing came true. Because indeed afterwards it says that Esau, after he had cordially uh, acknowledged his brother coming back to, to be with him, he returned home. And it says that he and his descendants became exceedingly rich after that event. It seems that once Esau humbly accepted his station in life, it turned out for him like it did for the Canaanite woman. And there I think we probably began, he began to more deeply understand the part that he also had played in his own fate through his own carelessness that opened him to those blessings that he wished he had received from his father. It seems likely that Esau's exceeding riches was not only material, but spiritual. And likewise, the Canaanite woman shows faith. And even though she's not in the house of Israel, she receives a sneak peek into the blessings of God that, yes, we're coming first to the house of Israel, but ultimately to all nations from their father, our father, God himself. So with that, let us also approach our father in heaven, seeking with faith, his limitless, limitless spiritual blessings. If it seems we're being rebuffed, let us persevere in our Lenten discipline. 
Let us keep begging God for mercy. He will hear us if we are faithful and what we're asking for is according to his will. If it seems that things are not going our way, let's ask, where have we been careless with the birthright that we received from God to be very sons and daughters of him? And humbly accept our failings that we may again receive the inheritance that God has prepared for us. Let us join our refrain with that of the humble woman in today's gospel, as we do each time in our prayers before we celebrate the Eucharist. I am not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. And in return, we will dine together at the wedding feast in the kingdom. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.